Jane Ali Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Ali Williams, she, her, a voracious reader, romance novelist and PhD researcher at University of Brighton. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Hi Ali, thank you so much for having me and I am quite delighted that we are here today, Ali Squared. Ali Squared (laughs) in my front room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I have been, I what have I been doing? It's just been my birthday, so I have just bought a load of books. Yay! And I had my first short story collection release uh, last month, which is very exciting. It's super, super, super exciting. And I've got, um, I've just, I'm doing the cover reveal probably next next week for, for my first paranormal romance novel. So all the stuff we talk about today, like this book in particular, like put all the groundwork in for me to become the uh, slightly... Uh, not safe for work writer that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, people who know me, you can just imagine my Muppet flail face right now (laughs) about this paranormal romance because I've heard so much about it and I can't wait to read it. It's so exciting. So today we're uh, talking about two fabulous books and the first one that your choice Mm -hmm. is Beauty by Robin McKinley. Can you summarise the plot for us? It's basically Beauty and the Beast, but as opposed to there being... One of the things I really like about it is that it changes the dynamics of the family Mm. and how they work together, and Beauty in relation to her sisters. Um, And it plays around with the beast and the beastly and the castle and the magic but yeah it is essentially at its heart it's a and she uh, Robin McKinney did a series of these mm. I think this one is one of the more uh, it, it sort of sticks to the original fairy tale more closely yeah, I think so my other favourite one of my other favourites is Spindle's End where it's Sleeping Beauty but uh, the princess gets swapped out yeah at the curse uh, and is called Rosie and is like the most unprincessy princess ever which is delightful I kind of love unprincessy princesses oh, so I mean I grew up on the karate princess by Jeremy Strong oh my so yes. I was I was all about the unprincessy princesses and of course our very own princess Leia yeah um, who yeah. is now technically a Disney princess which she always makes me is. Oh. and she's also a general general oh, so, Organa yeah so cool um <clears throat> but yeah mom. <clears throat> Yeah, so Beauty and the Beast, for those of you who are unaware of the story, um, in this version, there are three sisters, uh, Grace, Hope and Honour. But when Honour asks her dad as a kid what her name means, uh, he explains it and she goes, well, that's boring. I'd much rather be Beauty. Mm. And unfortunately, the nickname stuck. And whereas her sisters, Grace and Hope, grow up to be very beautiful, she does not. Uh, Mm. She's quite homely looking. Uh, she at one point she des- uh, describes having the only outbreak of spots that her family have seen in generations, <laughs> yes. uh, which makes me laugh. <clears throat> and she's very bookish, uh, and their family fall on hard times, uh, and so they end up moving <clears throat> to a little cottage in the woods with her sister Hope's fiance. Um, and he's a blacksmith. Her dad is a carpenter who lost all his money in the shipbuilding trade. Um, her sister Grace's fiance is missing, presumed dead at sea. And honour or beauty is just, you know, prittling along. She's got her horse, great heart. Um, 
And then one day her dad goes goes to the big city and when he comes back he gets lost and he ends up in the Beast's castle. And the thing that I quite like is in the original story he asks his daughters what they want. Mm. I want riches, I want gold, I want pearls. And McKinley keeps that moment in. But they make it into a joke. They're just like, yeah. oh, well, we don't have enough pearls to greet the king and queen. Yeah. And they're joking around. Um, and her her father feels a little bit hurt by the fact that they don't actually think he can, you know. Yeah, he can't so, actually do these things. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Beauty asks him for rose, rose seeds so that she can plant roses. Um and so he, he doesn't manage to find any, so he picks the rose. And mm. the beast says, you know, you've you've ignored my hospitality, you have one month. And at the end of that month, either you must come back or your daughter Beauty, who you picked the rose for. And But she must choose to do it of her own volition, she cannot be forced, etc. Mm. And so Beauty, of course, is like, well, I'll go. Makes sense. Bit of an adventure. Um, and she goes and she meets this castle... And they end up falling in love very slowly. In yes, what we know is Stockholm syndrome, but let's be <laughs> let's be honest. But it's Stockholm syndrome in a library alley, <laughs> and what a library! Now, the library. She turns around and says, "I don't didn't realize there were that many books written in the world." And he says, "There haven't been. This has all the books that are to be written." Yes, and that. Oh my gosh! As a as a child who read voraciously. Mm. that genuinely blew my mind <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> i was like oh my god um and then she finds out that her sister's fiance who was thought dead at sea is not dead and so she asks the beast can she go home to tell her sister and he says yes but you have one month and then you must come back otherwise i will mm. die so she goes home her family beg her to stay beg her to stay and then she has this nightmare and she goes back she eventually says yes i will marry you um but he doesn't ask her and i think that's the that's the thing I quite liked about this. The whole way through, he asks her every night, will you marry me? And she says no. Um, at one point, she asks him, can you stop? Because it's upsetting me. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to reject you like this. Mm. And he says, I can't. It's all part of the curse. Um, but when she comes back, he doesn't ask her to marry him. She asks him. Yes. Um, and then he turns into the good-looking guy, and then she sees herself in the mirror and realises that she's no longer the homely thing. And, and part of me... I think there's a part of me that as a teenager, very awkward, sort of, I was probably about 10 or 11 when I read this, mm. but I reread it, like, all the way up to, I, I remember particularly a holiday to France, I must have been about 14, like, that and Spindle's End in my bag, and, like, rereading the two of them, like, over and over and over. Um, I think there was something quite attractive for a very, very awkward me. I wasn't spotty, but I didn't do boys very well, <laughs> or girls. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really understand how anything worked and was just permanently awkward. And so the idea of someone who isn't very pretty, who's very awkward, could grow up and be a princess, basically. Yeah. I I didn't actually read this until I think I I think I just left university. I was published in 1978, I believe. Yeah. And I think I probably <clears throat> read it in the early 90s. But this is, I'd just finished an English degree and basically couldn't bear to read anything <laughs> that was like a proper yeah. literature book. And to be honest, I never have done since then. <laughs> if you ever Pretty want. much the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I think it was around the time that I got really into feminist fantasy and science fiction 
And I think that's probably where I found it. Yeah. Yeah, there was a really excellent secondhand bookshop near where I lived in Leeds that had amazing um, feminist science fiction and fantasy, and that's where I got all my women's press yeah. books and Virago books yeah. and well, so Well, this on. was republished, I think, in 2000, so I would have been about 11 Right, right. Um, And that's the edition I found at the library for that Mm. and Spindle's End. Um, And it wasn't until years later that I found, when I started reading on my phone, that I found, like this really old Blackberry I had, that I found um, Sunshine by Robin McKinley, which is a lot darker, like vampires and like not a children's book in any way, shape or form. And I read Pegasus around then as well. But she wrote a lot of these. Um, she actually wrote another version of Beauty. Did she really? She wrote one called Rose Rose's Daughter. Oh, or Rose Daughter. Yeah, oh. which is another which I didn't actually like very much. Did she not? No, I mean I liked them both, but no, I didn't really enjoy Rose Daughter. And I think it's because the whole way through I was comparing it to Beauty, and I was like, I don't understand. Like in that one, the sisters aren't nice, and yeah. it just felt yeah, kitty cat. Sorry, <laughs> Mickey. <laughs> Mickey has just joined us. He's Mickey, very cute. You, Mickey, do not sit <clears throat> on the show notes. <laughs> we can't work <laughs> otherwise. Um, yeah, so it was a very... I mean, Beauty and the Beast we see all the time. Yeah. It's one of those stories that comes back again and again and again. It's very popular. It's very popular in romance. It is. Um, well, it's part mm. of Jane Eyre, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, part of Jane Eyre, the whole thing and the... I mean, it can be quite... It is quite at its heart quite an ableist narrative. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, you know the beast hiding away. Uh, it can be quite fat phobic. <clears throat> it it is all about like you know, oh they're happy when he turns back to his proper self. It's one of the reasons why I always love Shrek. Yeah, you know he doesn't turn into the human. Like she remains, she m- remains the ogre, and yes. they're happy together. It, it turns that narrative on its head. But there is something about. McKinley's beauty and like, there is something about the way she writes one of the things I noticed when rereading it for this is that she writes quite long paragraphs and really descriptive paragraphs yes she does and I don't think I realised that at the time because a lot of the time in children's fiction you don't see that so much certainly not these days and I don't like long long paragraphs because I get I have ADHD and my mind starts yeah. drifting and yeah, I end up skimming yes. I end up skimming half the yeah. stuff um but yeah, no, it's very. Oh, it's such a good book. It is, and I, th- I think, um, I mean, you, you mentioned that you read it when you were about ten or eleven. Yeah. Where did you find? I mean, did you find it in the library mm. or? Yeah, yeah, I found it in the library. They had a new edition of. It would have been about, I think, two thousand. Had a new edition of that and of Spindle's End, <clears throat> and it was around the time that I was reading things like Ella Enchanted, Gail Carson Levine, yeah, The Two Princesses of Bamar. Um, and yes, I was starting to find these fant- usually fantasy narratives that had a romantic element to them. Yes. Um, and it's around that point that I started, maybe a little bit older, that I started reading fan fiction. Mm. And, and shipping became a thing, like a big yes. thing. So, yeah, around the age 10, 11, I was already shipping characters, like expecting people to get together. Um <clears throat> But I think the thing that really stood out for me on reading it was the family. Mm. Like, these sisters like each other. It did not feel like not like other girls' narrative. 
um, Beauty does not dislike her sisters. Her sisters are not assholes who are up themselves and only in it for the money. They're yeah. not like that at all. They actually have a real connection and a real bond. They all worry about their father. They worry about each other. They all help out in different ways when they, they suddenly become poor. And I, I love the way that um, Beauty is kind of like, she's not portrayed as being jealous of her sister's no. beauty. And she doesn't seem, the way that that Robin McKinley writes it, she doesn't feel lesser than her sisters. No. It's more like, oh, my sisters are so beautiful, isn't that joyous yeah and 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 she and she says yeah they they're really really beautiful i'm really smart like we're all good at different things yeah and that's you know and she's good at horses yes she's great (laughs) with horses like uh great heart who you know does all these he won't eat if she leaves him behind i know (laughs) he's so cute i was i was really into pony books for uh, you know about a year when i was about nine and um Nine was kind of the year where I really took off as a reader. Mm. And I, I, yeah, Pony, but Folly Foot and those kind of books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just love them. So, yeah, this kind of um, thing with Great Heart, I really appreciated. It's it's really lovely. It reminded me a little bit of, there's a book called, I think, Blind Beauty by K.M. Payton. Yes. Oh, my gosh. K.M. Payton's amazing. And absolutely loved. And again, it has that, again, it has that romance storyline. Mm. Like that coming of age thing, particularly for me with books, was finding books that started having romance storylines. And right. having that thing that made me go, oh, that, it's magical. It's sort of there. But it felt, it made me feel. Yes. I wanted to yes. feel in my books. Um, and I kind of went from, <laughs> I used to smock. Once I hit a certain age, uh, my mum, up until I was 14, uh, my mum would, no, up until I was 16, my mum would check the books that I was taking out of the library because she wanted to make sure that they were appropriate, which I have mixed feelings about, but also, like, I appreciate she was doing her best yeah. to be a good mum. And she was quite happy for me to be led by the librarian at the library. So when I sort of got, wanted to read older books, she said, took me to the library and said, right, what books would you recommend? But... Up until I was 14, I wasn't allowed to go to the library on my own. It was around the corner. Right. She would come with us. And once I was 14, I was was allowed to go on my own, but she would check the books when I came home. So I started a book smuggling operation. (laughs) (laughs) Basically smuggling them in and hiding them. And for me, it was romance novels. I wasn't allowed to read romance because my mum was like, no, like there are other things that are more important. Like focus on your career. You know, let's have... Um, strong female characters, uh, and I was like, I want them to fall in love. Yeah, let's let's have <laughs> strong female characters who are also falling in love. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, I think that's a really because like you're quite you're about twenty years younger than me. I think um, 30, 34 just Yeah, I'm fifty three. Yeah. So yes, we're, we're there's twenty years between us, and I think the kind of benign neglect that people of my generation experience did lead us to actually being able to read books that were probably massively inappropriate at a lot younger age. Well, the, there was a Mills and Boone book on my grandmother's... My, my grandmother was Italian. She didn't... I don't know whether it was her book or it must have been my mum's book or something, but there was this book and it came out. I managed to find, I managed to track down a copy like 20 years later, uh, 15 years later. It came out in about 2000, maybe the 90s, and it's a three-in-one Mills and Boone, and it had a Temptation book in there by Joe jo Lay, which 
Oh my gosh. Yes. I thought was the most it is not. I reread it recently. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. The tamest thing. But it but one of the things that changed for me, and I would have been about ten or eleven, and I think that it was kind of key, was actually it showed me I didn't have to be a wife and a mother when I grew up because the heroine was a businesswoman. And there's this moment where she walks into this business room and she's wearing this red suit and she weaponizes her sexuality. Oh in my. a way that she's like, screw you. Yeah. Are we allowed to swear on the... Not really. Okay. But I think we'll, just, we'll go... Goodbye, you. Yeah. <laughs> Goes in and like, like, knocks his socks off and then just walks out of like this revenge moment. But it suddenly made me realize, oh, I don't have to get married and have kids. Like, I could be a businesswoman instead. Yeah. And it's weird to me that a Mills and Boone book taught me that. Not all the stuff that I was, be- that I was reading up, leading up to that. I think that's such an interesting thing about romance books is that, I mean, you you know, like mm. Janice Redway's um, reading oh, the romance, yes. yeah, romance in the reader. But the, in those books, the reasons why people read romance, I mean, she's focusing yeah. on women readers, but and, you and know, historical romance specifically yeah. of the bodice ripping time, bodice ripping <clears> time. <throat> yeah. But yeah, people read romance novels for a variety of different reasons. And certainly for me, reading a lot of, um, well, I read a lot of Mills and Boone's books because my grandma liked them. Yeah. Um, and I, I can remember reading books about things like going to Madeira. Yeah, going to exciting places going to in the seventies. Places, yeah, the places I was never going to be able to go. And actually, I still haven't got. But, you know, finding out about the food and finding out about, like, local customs. And I now realise that, actually, those authors probably had a guidebook yeah. to Madeira. In Zero idea. Them. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, I was really interesting to me. And I'd learned a lot about them, which is the same thing, actually, about reading Chalet School books, yeah. which we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, and about finding out about um, Switzerland and Austria and they go at one point to the Channel Islands and learning yes. about those places, which, again, I never thought at the time I was reading those books I was ever going to get an opportunity yeah. to do. Um, I think one of the reasons why I loved fantasy so much growing up was because it took me to other worlds, yeah. it took me to other places. Obviously, a lot of those classics are very, they're written from a white viewpoint. And they yeah. are very white centric. Um, the world, and it, when they're not, they take you to worlds which vaguely offensive. Yes, <laughs> I say vaguely, very offensive yes. Uh, yes. representations. Um, but it's there is something about being just beyond your reach, yeah. And and, and as children, wanting to know more, wanting to see things outside our own experience. Yeah, yeah. That makes them the best readers. I think that's. I think you're absolutely right there, and you know, as as you've already said, there are many, many re- retellings of of Beauty and the Beast, and of course, you know, for the kind of a lot of con- sort of younger readers, mm. it will be the Disney version of yes. Beauty and the Beast, which is still all about you know, Belle falling in love with you know, the Beast's um, artistic sensibilities and his uh, his yeah. literature. He's falling in love with the soul, not the, not the looks. But, yeah. but then he turns into what is a fairly bland 
white guy at the end. I always thought he was so much more good looking as a beast. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I so agree. And yeah, he he is a very kind of square jawed, typical Disney hero at the end. And unnamed as ever. Yes. I think his name technically is Adam or something, but like there's a thing where they don't give the Disney heroes, especially yeah. the early ones, like Prince Charming and uh, the Prince in Cinderella. Yeah, None yeah, of them yeah. actually get proper names. Yes, he's like Prince Cypher, really. Oh, is yeah. he? Oh, I didn't no, know. I mean, I'm just oh, yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know. Prince X. Prince X. I, for some reason, I'm thinking Adam, but I don't know why. I was thinking Philip, but again, I don't no, know Philip why. Philip is Sleeping Beauty. Right, okay. Philip is Sleeping Beauty because they actually started giving him a character. Um, yeah, so it doesn't really matter what he, he's He's not... He's not the point of the story. Yes. She is. Yes, um, And actually, that... that that comes through in the book as well. Like, he's there, but the whole story is told from her perspective. Absolutely. And it's first person. Yes. And that wasn't very... That wasn't very common in, in the ones that I can remember, like, fantasy books I can remember as a kid. No, I, do, I don't think it was for me either. I, I'm i trying to think... I mean, obviously, I read Jane Eyre as a yeah. very, very... Far too young. Oh, same. And os- os- yeah, yeah. At a point where a lot of it didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but I yeah. really liked the Lowood bit. Um, the, what where they went to? Syndrome? Where they were in the yeah you know, when, when they were all in the school. Oh, oh really? Yes, I was a bit I like. Oh pissed. my god! <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me! I know. I was a strange child in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I liked her rebelliousness and oh and, yeah, fair yeah, enough. The kind of that's. I wanted to be like I didn't her. I didn't get on with Jane Eyre very well. I think partly because I just felt like she had a bit of a rotten time of it and all, all her love interests were just awful. Rochester oh. was, was horrible locking his ex wife in the attic. Oh yeah, Rochester's terrible. And, and then Syndrome was just such a stuck up expletive. Yeah. Um, and he didn't he never Yeah, this is the thing with with Sinjin is he never really appreciated her for her. Yeah, I felt the same way about him as I did about Angel in Test of the Durbervilles. I hated Angel. Yes, oh, me too. And also, actually, if you think about Twilight, the kind of the difference between yeah. Edward Cullen and Jacob. And Jacob, yeah. And it, that, that comes, I'm sure that comes very much from both Jane Eyre and also Wuthering Heights. Actually. Oh, yes, the yeah. one versus the other. Edwin kind Linton of... versus... Yeah, and it's weird because I actually... Please don't sit on my recording device. I was... Unhelpful. (laughs) I was very much Team Jacob over Team Edward. Yeah. All the way because I felt... Well, a teenage werewolf is a lot more age appropriate than a hundred years old vampire, don't you think? Who also, likely enough, was, you know... Involved in slavery, like I think, I think yeah. Jasper is specific, or one of one of the other siblings. I'm using inverted commas there. I think was a slave owner. Like there is, and and I mean, a lot of that goes back to Anne Rice yes, making um, Confederate vampires sexy, which is weird to me. Yeah, like yeah. it's very very odd to me. Although I mean, I did love Anne Rice. So I didn't. <laughs> I didn't read any of it. Did you know? Not oh, till was... many many years later. Um, yeah. Everyone was raving about her, and I think I kind of went, no, I don't want to read something everyone's raving about. There is there's <laughs> a lot right? of that as a teenager, isn't there? No, I, d- yeah. I did love Interview with the Vampire as, as a, a, I th- I mean, a young reader. I mean, I enjoyed reader. Sleeping Beauty, but that is a not safe for work. Oh, uh, very much not In fact, any, any Anne Rice, not safe for work in terms of 
graphic violence, sex, and racism. Um, yeah, no, that, just so you're aware, that dear listeners. A, yeah, that is a very, very disturbing book. <clears throat> yeah, very much so. Weird, but yeah. in a kind of hypnotic way. Um, and I think, yeah, that 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 sort of the taming of a monster and actually it's quite interesting because at the moment there are a lot of monster romances yes there are yeah um and i think there is something around this idea of seeing something terrifying but seeing something physical that you can then tame and you can then go no no no, you are safe for me because so much in the last couple of years of, of what we've been scared of is something we can't see yes so seeing the scary and it not turning out to be scary and actually turning out to be very yeah. good with many, many skills and various appendages um, being... Yeah, it, it's one of... I I kind of think about this... In, it's very gothic-y. It is very gothic-y. Yeah. But I've, I kind of think about those sort of romances in a number of different ways because there is something about the equation of male sexuality with the monstrous yes which is sort of in some ways quite disturbing particularly when it does have a racialized element yeah now what's quite interesting is a lot of the because i did a lot of editing work there was a anthology that was supposed to come out which ended up falling through um and a lot of the ones I ended up working on ended up being queer romances. Yeah. So you get a lot of uh, FF or MM romances, um, which change that aspect of it quite yes. a lot. Yes. And, and the moment they become queer, it's, it becomes less about gender and gender norms and how it ends up reading. Um, and those that were MF romances or het romances um, played on the uh, sort of... Mm the horror but the comedy element right. of it a lot of the time so there's one uh love uh love lich something else where he's like a lichen uh yeah the, the front cover is like a skeleton and 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 this woman in an office chair and she is basically working for the dark lord oh my and he is the love <laughs> interest and it's hysterical like it's very very funny in fact i emailed her when i finished editing and go okay i need more please yeah. <laughs> i need more in this world this is highly entertaining like at some point someone tries to ask her out and he gets really cross and banishes them to her human resources or something <laughs> it's, it's hysterical um and there ha- yeah but what you're saying about the racialized aspect of it there's been a lot of uh discussion recently about how some of those monster romances and alien romances as well are being used as a way of going well we don't need we like well we, you know we don't care about the color of anyone's skin blue skin we're here for it and oh, it's like, i mean I, I am too here for blue skin like yeah alien romance is very cool in whatever color that, that that turns up at but like that's not the point we're making here no don't turn it into that no no no, no. it's it's very much um yeah, it, it's the the sort of monstrous and horrific aspects of it, and and the and also it's often quite classist yes. as well in the way that werewolves are somehow working class and vampires are somehow yes. aristocrats, and you know, and, and zombies are like the underclass, and it is yeah, it's it's very all very yeah. 
Um, all, all a bit unpleasant, she yes. says, clutching her pearls. All a bit <laughs> unpleasant. Now, it's, it's all, a, I think that the way that, the way that people don't always unpick yeah. this sort of stuff is interesting. And actually, I have just written a review of a book, another book about the Gothic, where the the editors of the book have yeah. actually called out in or not in a very polite way, in a very academic way, have called out um, scholars of the Gothic for Ooh. not perhaps questioning enough. Oh, that's interesting. You know, the, the kind of uh, assumptions of um, gender, about gender and um, ethnicity. And I would like to say, I think they should be calling out assumptions about social class as well in, in the Gothic. Yeah, that's really interesting. I just did a lecture on... Um, not the gothic so much, but paranormal romance. Yeah. So I, I run a series of uh, lectures. Once a month I do a lecture on a different subgenre of romance. So not last month, month, yeah, not last month, month before, it was uh, paranormal romance. And I used uh, Frostbite by J. Emery, which is uh, an MM queer romance between a vampire and a monster, ex-monster hunter, and it's a snowed-in romance. Oh, amazing. And it's tropey as all hell, and it's the most adorable thing. It's also violent as well and sex, but it's just adorable. Um, Big Bad Wolf by Selika Snyder, which has a working-class white... Uh, is he Irish-American? No, Italian-American um, ex-soldier. Right. As the werewolf who has just been uh, put in prison uh, for murdering... Um, interestingly not murdering in his werewolf state were murdering as himself oh wow uh, some uh criminal underworld cool. and uh a an indian american uh lawyer who is a psychologist who is working with the team representing him which oh. is really interesting and that's really interesting in looking at power dynamics and there was another one oh damn it what was the other one i did um if it comes back to me i will tell you tell me yeah um but i was looking at degendering agency Right. And looking at how agency is really interesting in these, in, in paranormal romances in particular, because you have the um, not like all girls girl a lot of the yes. time. Yes, uh, you have um, you know the alpha male, yes. and then how does that work, and how is that undercut, or how do people lean into it? Yeah, I'm really interested in those kind of power dynamics and how they sort of work for each other or against each other and a lot of the time when you do a lot of close reading what you realize is these power dynamics are undercut the yes. whole way through yes let's see if i can find the other yes please do yeah. i i think that's i think that's a very interesting point when you are looking at how these are undercut yeah. so tasha suri uh is has uh, i think she's debuting her um, Wuthering Heights retelling. I'm so excited at, for it. Too. I really hope she's going to be talking about it at EasterCon, because a lot of the a lot of the way that um, Heathcliff has been traditionally depicted yes. as being a kind of brooding, dark white man, but is, it's Romany. Like it reads very traveller. It could be Romany. It could be. I mean, he's called. 
uh, by Nellie Dean. She yeah. says he uh, dark as a little Lascar. Now, Lascars were sailors from um, East Africa a oh. lot of the time. Yeah. So he could be East African. He could be Sri Lankan. He could be Irish. Uh, he could be Italian. Yeah. And he's found at Liverpool uh, yes. docks, which is obviously such a multicultural place and has always been. But what's really interesting is that he's speaking a language that the residents of Wuthering Heights don't understand. Yeah. Now, it, you're right, it could, he could be a Roman gypsy. Yeah. We don't know. But that's a lot of the, um, yeah, a lot of the more modern academic uh, readings of it I've read yeah. have been looking at, at, at that possibility. I mean, I have. I have a complicated relationship with Wuthering Heights. Oh, me too. Because I read it as a teenager and absolutely adored it. Like, I wanted someone banging their hands against a tree, dying for love of me. Um, you read it as an adult and go, good gracious, like, abusive. Like, it, domestic violence. Horrendous, horrendous, yes. horrendous. Tap I, out right now. I, I find <clears throat> it extremely problematic that it, it is often read as a romance. Oh, it's not a romance. It's There's not no a happy romance. Ever- I mean, it's the, a horror story yeah. in many, many ways. It, 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 it's one of those gothic... It's very much like the the American gothic that you get. Yes, it is. The, the gothic of the home yes. that you get with Edgar Allan Poe, that you get in things like Edward Scissorhands, even um, Desperate Housewives. Like that kind of everything confined in the home until things bubble up and bubble up and, and then everything explodes in yes. this absolute mess. Very Tennessee Williams, actually, yeah. isn't it? It's very, very modern for its yeah. time. It, I mean, Jane Eyre is also similar in that kind of gothic aspect, but Jane Eyre feels more British. Yes. Uh, Wuthering Heights feels more New Worldy in, yeah. in the way that it engages with the gothic. Yes. Oh, that's such an interesting point. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, they, they take both of both um, Charlotte Bronte and Emily. Emily do sort of take the tropes of the Gothic romance from yes. like Italy and France. Yeah, and, and Castle trans- of Otranto yeah. and all of those kind of and they the tra- monk and stuff. They transpose that kind of the sublime onto the Yorkshire landscape yes. in, in such a fascinating way. Um, in a way, and then Plath goes back yes. years later and, and does, oh, she wrote some fab poems. They both, her and Ted Hughes both wrote a poem called yeah. Wuthering Heights. Yes, they did. And if you read them next to each other, his is all about her. Her one, if you read it, you would have no idea he was, she was with anyone else at the time that she visited. It's this very... Oh, there's something yeah it's yeah gorgeous absolutely sorry getting completely no, no, off topic no, no. from we're not because you know we're, we're talking about uh we're talking about fantasy fiction and this oh. is good so shall we shall we talk about um my my choice yes right so the reason i've chosen this book so it's is magic by angie sage right? by angie sage yes is a lot of it i i went back to these books and I actually listen to them now as audio books. Oh, nice. Yeah, I used to have all of the books. And then, I don't know why, but I don't have them anymore. Um, but these these are books that when I was first getting interested in children's fantasy fiction, um, you know, re-interested yeah. in it after being a child myself, these are some books that I read 
And I think I read them because of reading Harry Potter. And they got, yeah, they kind of got me, Harry Potter got me into these books. But they're not so much of an undercutting of Harry Potter. No, not at all. As, for example, Jonathan Stroud's Bartimaeus trilogy. I love that trilogy. Oh, they're, they're such good books. So funny. They don't kind of... <laughs> question the fantasy elements in the way well, and not in kind the of, same way not in the same they way they do do it a little bit and there's, yeah. there's a lot of tongue I felt like there was a lot of tongue and cheekness I mean well the moment you mentioned it I saw the cover that you have on your phone like yeah. immediately in my head because they had it in my school library yes I will take a photo I will photo yes they are such such a, anyway I'm gonna read the blurb I, I, yeah good go for it I, I kind of I kind of wish that I had um, I kind of wish that I'd read all of them because I thoroughly enjoyed the first one. Oh, I recommend them. They get much more complicated. The world, the world sort of spins mm. out. Anyway, I shall read it. Septimus Heap, the seventh son of the seventh son, disappears the night he is born, pronounced dead by the midwife. That same night, the baby's father, Silas Heap, comes across an abandoned child in the snow a newborn girl with violet eyes. Violet eyes. I, I know. It made me so, smile so much. So, so romancy and, and fantasy-y. Who is this mysterious baby girl and what really happened to the Heap's beloved son, Septimus? The first book in this enthralling series by Angie Sage leads readers on a fantastical journey filled with quirky characters and magical charms, potions and spells. Magic is the original story of lost and rediscovered identities, rich with humour and heart. And uh, listeners, you will need to know about this, that magic is spelt M-A-G-Y-K. Yes. In a kind of... Oldie-worldie. Oldie-worldie, but also... Uh, Wiccan way yeah. yeah so um, what did you think what What do you remember <sighs> about reading magic so I didn't rem- I couldn't remember anything I I read so voraciously that a lot of the time when I go back and reread things there are whole chunks or something yeah. I don't remember I found that rereading beauty this afternoon but I read magic this morning I literally like got up and was like right read what? this before work oh yeah i've read two books i read both reread both of them today you you have this is your and superpower oh yes it is a superpower it also comes like any superpower adhd hyperfocus it comes it comes to the drawback which is crashing out three days later and not doing anything uh, but but right reading reading is less of an issue because growing up we didn't i wasn't really allowed to watch much tv so right. i just read constantly yes i have slowed down but yes yeah, so i read it this morning and loved it um I really liked I like I think what's quite interesting is and I think the reason the way the blurb is written the way it is is because it's a Septimus Heap yeah series but actually Septimus Heap isn't you don't find out who he is until the very end of the book although it's kind of it's kind of obvious if you as an adult yeah yeah and if I think even if you were an intelligent child who'd read a lot of fantasy you you get you, know, you get the references you know, yeah. but the the girl in it Jenna yes um actually is more is is kind of a bigger character and she's she not is. named at all in the blurb 
And I, I was pleasantly surprised when I was reading it how many strong female characters are because you've got her, you've got Marsha, who I know we're going to talk about in a bit, and Zelda. And, and, Sarah, the, and Sarah, actually. the mother yeah. as well. And, um, and even Sally, the Sally, what's her name? Oh, Sally. Uh, yes, Sally, who's funny, but... Yeah, who owns <clears throat> the, the tea and ale house. Yeah. yeah. And refuses to give in to the hunter who comes yeah. in. Yeah. Even though she thinks she's going to die. Like, there is a certain amount of... Um, I really enjoyed that. I found it really engaging. I thought it was really... It's just charming, you know, in that way that, and it it did feel very fairy tale-y, which is why yes. I think it's a great comparison for beauty. Yeah. Um, I also, again, the family stuff, I think is yeah. a really great point of comparison because, um, you know, Septimus is the seventh son of the seventh son. So there are like six brothers and then their little sister Jenna running around riotous most of the and time. And they live in this tiny, tiny apartment. Yes, it's got two rooms. It's got the room upstairs and the room downstairs. <laughs> and the boys are described as sleeping in a pile yeah. like puppies. Yeah. I just adore that. And, and little um little Jenna has her cardboard her cupboard her cupboard bed. Yes. With a tiny window that her dad's made for her that looks out. Um it's just it's a bundle of fun. Yeah. And there are quirky characters throughout. And there are quirky otherworldly characters. Like, um, oh, what's the name of the rat? Stanley. Stanley the rat. Oh, the rat yeah. messenger. And Dawny, his yes. wife. Yes. And the boggart. Yes. Um, it's it's very charming. Um, it's just very, very, very cute. I love the ghosts as well. Yes, and how they interact with people. Yeah. and. And that makes sense. I mean, I don't think it's breaking ground in terms of doing lots of new things. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily needs to. There are certain things it does differently. So you have like the beetle ships. Yes. Which make which which feel a bit weird in this very fantasy world. You have these moments of sort of steampunky. It very um, they read very World War Two esque. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Quite interesting. They're described. The characters are all described as wearing tunics, and like the tunics, and particularly in the later books in the series, the Mm. tunics depict sort of what your occupation Mm. is. So Marcia wears purple. Yes, and her fabulous python shoes. And her fabulous python shoes. I just love her. Um, And then there's the other wizards who wear green. There's the scribes who wear grey and Jenna wears red when she becomes uh, the princess, um, you know, in later books. Mm. And it is such, it, that's very interesting to me. It, it feel, That feels quite feudal. Yes. Medieval-y. Yeah. But then as you say, there are these other steampunk elements like the bullets uh, yeah. from the gun, and particularly there's this what they call the beetle ship. Yeah, and it, it read very much to me like like a description of the kind of um, warships you saw in World War Two. Yes, which kind of makes sense because uh, she's a British author, and yeah, yeah, Britain is weirdly obsessed with World War Two at all exactly times. Exactly that. Yeah, but also it is powered by slave labour. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, it's, it has the rowers who actually row it, and there oh, are divers on the that. boat. I, I saw the di- yeah, the rowers I missed. Good gracious. Yeah, so um, it, it's 
it's an intro yes it's interesting because it's a very aerodynamic yes it's shaped like a bullet so it can travel very fast. Yeah. It's like a beetle in that it has the, the, the oh, things coming yeah, that out makes of more sense then. And the uh, oars coming out of it. But yeah, it's, it is... There are drawbacks to reading really fast. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, yes, it is a bit, it's a bit odd like that. And it is set in a very, it's, it's a, like a city-state called the castle, yes. isn't it? Yeah, and which is quite feudal. But then there are also references to, like, a Roman temple. Yeah. And then when you when you meet the dragon boat, it's an Egyptian. Egyptian. Yeah. And, so, and, and she, even, the, like, the narrative even just calls it a Roman temple. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. How, how does that yeah. work in this world? As but, far as I know, yeah. Andy Sage is a bit of a pantser when it comes to writing. Fair enough. In that she doesn't, she doesn't sort of really know where she's going with her. But I mean, this is yeah. what I've read from yeah. reading interviews with her. It, it kind of just sort of comes out in like a, oh, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, this happens to me in writing sometimes too. So I get it. I'm super jealous of that because I have to plan everything. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, uh, yeah. Well, I do plan I everything, get... and then two chapters later, I'm like, oh. That should have happened in 10 chapters time. Yeah. Now it's done oh, now. I'm, Where are all my characters doing for the rest of the book? Yeah, apparently he's a cat. How, how did <laughs> I not know that? Yeah, so yeah. That, that sort of thing. So I, I, and, I, and I think it makes sense for the readership as well. They would, and it, it does feel quite British as opposed yes, to quite it American. It does, um, yes. Whereas I think beauty is a bit more... It could be for either readership. Yeah, I, th- I think that, although I believe... It's a bit more vague... That Septimus Heat was, I don't know if it still is, but it was very, very popular in the US. Yes. Um, but that would be on the back of Harry Potter, I presume. But yeah, because I, um, Robin McKinley has lived in the UK for a very, very yeah. long time. But yeah, I think her cultural sort of cultural t- touch points remain yeah. Yeah. Um, American, uh, American yeah. and particularly when she's thinking back to her own childhood. Yeah, she mm. would be, which makes sense. Yeah, and totally. I, I, that doesn't make it. Like, it doesn't make magic bad. It's just there are a couple of points where I was like, I get that, and I think most British kids would get that, but I'm not necessarily certain that an American audience would have necessarily done an entire term on dressing up in togas and looking yeah. at the Romans and <laughs> yeah, school yeah, like exactly we did. That. Um, Although a lot of the grammar, and I don't know whether this is from the audiobooks, I pick it up from the yeah. audiobooks, but a lot of the grammar is very American. There's a lot of gotten in oh. there. Yeah. Is that American? Yeah. You know, like, uh, I've gotten this bag of, yeah, rather than I've got. See, I've gotten, I would say, is also... Um, younger generation. Young, younger young generation, but also uh, different class. That's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Like in in, in UK English, for yeah. those who are not British, like class yeah. changes how you speak about all sorts of things it as does. well. Yeah, you're right. And uh, yeah, so like gotten and stuff. Like I think that mainly happens with like the heap family. Yes, and the rats who are very much coded as working, working class, class. Yeah. as opposed to. I mean, even Marsha is working class, but she's worked her way up. Yes, to this fabulousness. Oh. She's so cool. But that's that's something else that really fascinates me about this book is that, you know, with with the, I mean, we have to keep going back to Harry Potter because of it being the urtext of 
modern children's mm. fantasy. But the way that Harry is the lost prince in his books, that he is poor in the mimetic world when mm-hmm. he goes into the fantasy world in He has Hogwarts. all of this fantasy. He's a rich jock, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> he's a rich truck in the sport and everything. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the Heap family are, although they're wizards, they're working class wizards. They're very much working class. Yeah. So Sep, uh, Silas Heap kind of dropped out of his wizard training. Yeah. Became an ordinary wizard because he fell in love. I actually quite like that. As yes, I think. me too. And he has an excellent collection of magic books that he's been when magic gets banned. Um, he basically starts like <laughs> stockpiling all these magic Absolutely. books and hiding them and running these sort of almost as hedge school is possibly not the right word, yeah, but these yeah. sort of hedge school type um, pop up classes. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's kind of quite subversive. Yes. And I, d- I do adore the Heaps as a family, even oh. though they're kind of they're feckless and lovely. Oh, Nick, Nico is like, my, oh, uh, I just I love him. Nico. Like, and he. You know, he he's very much like, well, you know, wizarding's all very well, but really, I just want to be sailing boats. Boats are awesome. Yeah, and he's so good at it yeah. as well. And yeah, and to the extent that he can't really be bothered to learn a proper hiding job. Yeah. He's no, like, oh, no, I've well, kind of got one. I'll be fine. It'll be it'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and at that point, because he kind of can't really be bothered to do yeah. it properly. Nearly gives the whole game away at one point. Yeah, and, and, and then there's the older so brother, Simon, who falls yes. in love and has this moment of betrayal. And we don't see the fallout, at least in this book, we don't see the fallout of it. I'm assuming yeah. there'll be fallout later on because... There's an, about five books where he's still the baddie, but his mum still loves him. And his mum is still always hoping that he's going to come home and... And settle down and be a good oh. son again and it, it's so it's very very delightful it's much more ambiguous in that way the kind of ambiguity that you get a bit yeah. in Diana Wynne Jones books yes exactly that something yeah. like Charmed Life where he's being a bit of a twit <laughs> like yeah. filtering through the language like yeah. words I can use he's being a bit of a twit but he's not a bad kid yes exactly and, yeah. and and the nuance and the dimensions of it, which I quite like, um, in comparing it to HP. I mean, yeah, I know we have to. There's part of me that's like, oh, no toughs. Um, oh, most certainly not. No, there is so, there are many, many better and more inclusive books. And one yes. of the reasons why I've chosen, I chose to talk about magic, is that um, Angie's own child uh is either trans or non-binary is quite a big person on twitter and tweeted about the the uh gender critical Mm -hmm. hoo-hahs going on in a very unpleasant way and that angie is uh the a proud mother of a trans child i love that yeah, uh, Laurie is, I'm guessing, now in their 30s. I'm mm-hmm. not sure which pronouns they use, so I'm just going to yeah. say they. Um, and and that that's sort of a really wonderful thing, that uh, there are an awful lot of people of my age. I'm, I'm presuming Angie's a bit older than me. Yeah, not well. But a lot of people of my age are not... No. gender critical feminists no 
and uh you know the the way that it's kind of been seen as a sort of generation x versus millennials versus mm. generation it's just that the people so, who are being the most horrendous are the loudest yes exactly that and it is a very and it is often not always but it's often a very it's a very british thing particularly in academia yes it is um where i don't know why it's just become a thing with an oh no 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 turfy turfy turf but I don't hear enough academics come standing up and, and answering back and, and yeah. critiquing them openly because the argument is, well, Grenda, being gender critical is an academic viewpoint. And I'm like, no. You could say that being racist is an academic viewpoint. But, <laughs> but, but, but yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's... Yeah, I just wanted if we're if we're mentioning Harry Potter on the podcast, I yeah. always want to make sure that that is there are, very much. There re- are plenty of other far better books, yeah, uh, and other far far better authors and people who who don't punch down. And Angie mm-hmm. Angie Sage, is yeah, not it's one an of author the, yeah. who punches down, which I like. Yeah, so like we've mentioned that that. Um, Septimus is the seventh son of a seventh son, which is a kind of a fairy tale, yeah. British folktale in particular, trope, I believe. Yeah, it made me think very much of, like, the moment they mentioned it, I immediately thought Equal Rights by Terry Pratchett. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> the seventh daughter of the seventh son. It's like, oh, yes. no. Oh, no, it's all gone terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've accidentally given a girl a wizard stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, that there's Terry Pratchett being, excellent book. you know, trans inclusive anyway <laughs> yeah uh, and also uh dark is rising the dark is rising oh, yes Susan yeah. Cooper. yes so will stanton is the seventh son of a seventh son yes. and i talked about dark is rising with steph shields in uh, the last episode of the last series oh, we're nice. talking about christmas yeah. books so oh, such yeah a good series oh, amazing yeah that i that's really the that, series that and the Snow Spider. Did you ever read yes. The Snow Spider by Jenny, Jenny Nimmo. Nimmo? That was the other one I was thinking about bringing yeah. up because there is something about those kind and and both of these play with retellings. Yeah. So Beauty is specifically retelling Beauty and the Beast, but even Magic is playing with these fairy tale tropes and ideas and turning them on their head and doing interesting things with them in a way that I find really whimsical. I yes. love that kind of whimsical. Just on the right side of whimsical where it's not twee. Yes. Yes, it's not twee. But it is playing. And there is something, you know, Alan Garner does it in the Owl Service. Yeah, uh, Jenny Nimmo does it with Snow Spider. There's the Magic Apostrophe by... Oh, I'll have to try and remember. I've never heard of that book. It was a trio. And you you can just about get them on Kindle now. Trio of Welsh published... I think it was uh, Llewellyn Publishing or something, um, books in the 90s, oh all based my. around uh, um, Tamsin with an apostrophe in her name who basically falls in, in love with Gwydion or something and goes in, in between two worlds and it's all uh, fantasy, Welsh uh, folk tales and magic. And Oh, I'm t- I am so I, I going to research you... that and put it in the show notes. Wow. Yeah, it's excellent. Magic apostrophe. Um, yeah. There is something about that playing with 
story. It's playing with tales, playing with things that we know and then twisting them slightly so that they are what we don't know at the same yes. time. It's one of one of my favourite versions of those is uh, The Amazing Morris by, mm, by Terry Pied Pratchett. Pied Piper. Oh, God, it's absolutely one of my favourite books. So it's the Pied Piper, but also the Grimm stories. Yes. And he is, I mean, Terry Pratchett was, was an absolute master. And of course, you know, this is anniversary of his death is is quite recent but he was so good at that and one of the things I love about it is that these really good books really good children's books can be read on so many different yes. levels so you engage with the plot on first reading yeah. it and then after you know you've read it the second time or the third time because children do reread books yeah, a lot constantly most children not all children uh my own I, stepson I doesn't i did <laughs> yeah. as, a child as well but then you start thinking once you've read a different book yeah. you think oh so that's what that's about yeah oh this Got picks it. up on this this yeah pick, um I, one of the things i was obsessed with as a and it's a bit dark and probably shouldn't have read it till a bit later, was Fire and Hemlock by Diana, Diana Wynne Jones. Oh yes. Which is Tamlin and it's the four it's T. S. Eliot's The Four Quartets. Yeah. And it's like everything all in this one place. And, and it's Thomas the Rhymer. Yep. Yeah. Thomas the Rhymer and Tamlin and um those two specific and the four quartets, those sort of all layered on yes. top of each other in this weird and I, to this day, I still don't get all the references in that book, but no. I re read it like every 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 year. I'm like, right, it's my it's my hemlock time, and it's it's weird and it's slightly odd. And is it? I mean, all her stuff slightly weird and odd, but I love the referencing, the constant, yes, like layering the way that Pratchett does, yeah, and including in the house moving castle mm. because that is totally written for nine to twelve year olds. Yes. And yet there's an assumption that nine to 12 year olds are going to be able to work out all these hints throughout the book. So good. I, yeah, it's so clever. And they're all based on the song by, oh, what's his name? Go and catch a falling star. Oh, um, what's his name? I don't know. <laughs> oh, John. What, catch a falling star? Unbelievable. Not that. No, it's a poet, a metaphysical poet. Oh, my oh, God. John, John Donne. John Donne. That's the one. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. I mean, Enchanted Glass is is Midsummer. Yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, you've got Titania, you've got Oberon. Like, I mean, and I I was obsessed with this kind of... So, I, I my master's, I did a master's in Shakespeare, and I was fascinated by retellings of Shakespeare. Yeah. In, particularly in popular culture. Like, yeah. Um, I use Dino and Jones in essays and West Side Story. West Side Story, Hexwood as yes. a retelling of the Tempest. Like there are so many different yeah. versions, and really fascinated. My master's dissertation was on um, rewritings of Romeo and Juliet because almost always in pop culture they change it and give it a happy ever after. Yeah, which is really interesting. Like it why is. are we obsessed with making sure these two people get back together as opposed to having a sad ending? And how does that work? And very very nerdy i'm not going to go all into it but i like seeing that i love seeing it in magic like the, the violet eyes the moment i saw the violet eyes i grinned because it's a fantasy thing but it's also a romance thing it and it's a like the moment someone has violet eyes they're a very important person indeed you know yeah. that they're going to be the heroine it's instant exactly yeah you don't you very rarely get a heroine who's got like you know brown eyes 
Yeah. Well, if her eyes are mentioned at all, they are likely to be violet. Yes. It's, that, it's that kind of thing. Well, that that's Alana, isn't it? In Tamara, yep. Tamara Pierce's Yes, book. Alana has um, violet, violet eyes. And, and she has special magic. Special magic. Well, that's why we, as kids, love the Kel books. But Kel yes. has, because Kel has no magic at all. Like, almost yeah. um, Alana, Dane, even Ali, they all have the gift. Yes. Uh, Kel does not have the gift. And she is this stocky, stubborn, tall, tall, awkward, asexual. Ace- I think is it asexual or demi? I think demi, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because but... she has the thing with Cleon. But yeah, like they, like it's oh, so good. Yeah, but, but very much doesn't have the gift, like that they that they call she, magic. Yeah, her specialness is in her 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 leadership skills, her leadership skills, her sense of duty, and her morality. Yes. And that I she's think very, very strong moral code. Yes. And I also like the way that she's like, I am not going to pretend to to be a tomboy to make everyone else feel comfortable. I am gonna own my my femininity, I'm gonna wear dresses, and you're all just gonna have to deal with it. And I just she's love so, that. And then just constantly getting in fights and like yeah. deciding to, to single-handedly take on the bullying culture at the, at the page training school. Go, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. This is rubbish. Um, yeah, like all of that. It's just... Yeah, it's so, so good. And so, and, and so seeing these strong women in magic, yeah. bring it, especially the different types of women, I think that's the thing I really like. You don't have one-note women. Yes. Uh, you have Jenna, who is a princess, but basically she's still she's only ten, and she's the little sister, and is used to the, all her brothers kind of looking after her. Yeah, but has her own mind and is a bit stubborn. And then you've got her mum, who is incredible and has her own skills. Yeah, she's a healer. Yeah, and Sally, who is Sally strongly Mullins. loyal. I've just forgotten what her name is. Yeah, who, who's fiercely loyal. And then you've got Zelda. I love Zelda more than I love Marsha. Yes, Zelda is Zelda is a witch, the white witch, a white witch, and she it turns it turns out that she has a really really important role yes. in this book, and people look down on her as being a bit of a silly old lady, don't they? Yeah, and she's, she's not. The, the things I really like are there are moments when, particularly when you see it through Boy Four One Two, this. Um, youth so basically a child soldier yes uh who accidentally gets caught up in in the heap family running to safety yeah um when he engages with zelda he sees her in a way that none of the others see her yes and he notices her looking after everyone yeah and he notices her keeping an eye out for the boggart and then we see things through her eyes and she basically just sees everyone as slightly broken animals that she needs to look after. Yes. Um, but she's incredibly powerful. And I think that's the thing I really like about her. Like, she's so powerful. And and just very eccentric. Yes, in the best... And queer. Like, there was a moment when she was like, oh, I knew your mother. I'm like, they were clearly lovers. Yeah. <laughs> in that kind of queer, queer reading of it, which yeah. is obviously not the case at all. Well... I like to think it still might be. There, in the later books, mm. there is a more, a more queer element to them. Um, I think, particularly in the third or fourth book, I can't remember which, but one of the brothers, I picked up on this, mm. like, whoa, because the brothers 
because they have to go and escape yeah. this uh, horrible um, Dom Dom Daniel, who is like the the necromancer. They have to escape from him, and they have to escape from the kind of authoritarian government that yeah. has usurped um, usurped the the city state. Uh, and the boys just the, the other brothers apart from Simon and Nico just decide to stay in the forest mm. they go and live in the forest they're like oh we really like it here we're just going to stay here and they go a bit wild uh, feral in a way <laughs> and they get kind of caught up with the witches that live in the forest yeah we have a hint of them uh on is it the mid midsummer yeah midsummer feast that they go to yes exactly that so all of the other brothers are kind of you know very into kind of hanging out with flirting with uh having romances with and sexy times with <laughs> the young witches yeah. and there's one of them sam yeah who's like this is all a bit silly isn't it <laughs> and, and it's like oh okay coded yeah very much so in a way that is it is he gay is it canon or is it is, yeah is it is he gay or is he um ace Ace. we you know we don't really know um but there's also from the second book onward there's a boy called wolf boy Mm -hmm. who is boy 409 Mm -hmm. who was oh who's referenced yeah 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 he's referenced in the first book who was uh septimus's best friend in the boy uh army the young army and uh he's also someone who doesn't have a clear het love interest yeah i mean it's quite interesting because reading it from the very beginning i'm kind of like it's almost setting up for septimus and jenna yes but i i haven't actually read the final book and i really really hope that doesn't happen but she also (laughs) has there's there's another character who comes into later books who's makes it because i think that makes it otherwise it all gets a bit icky yeah Yeah. because she's you know the adopted sister Yes. He's the brother who was stolen from them. Yeah. And so even though he wasn't brought up with them, it would be, yeah, a bit icky. bit icky. Yeah. yeah. But it, 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 it's all weird. The way that they, it all works and the dynamics. And Nico is just charming. I love Nico. Yeah. Nico's the kind of character I always really liked as a kid and I wanted to be. Yeah. He's always laughing and smiling yeah. and he's a very kind of happy-go-lucky character. Yeah. But my favourite adult woman in the book is Marcia Overstand. Yes. I really like her. She is the extraordinary wizard. She's so like the top wizard the in the top world. Wizard in the in this city state. She is a very powerful wizard. She's very very intelligent, and she's a bit prickly. She's quite... She likes her comforts as well. She loves her comforts, but also her own home is scared of her. And yes. that is so great. She makes her mirror nervous. Yes. <laughs> oh, she's so funny. And like there are moments when she's like, I know I should not waste magic on this, but 
But my python shoes. My python shoes. Yes, my, my purple python pointy shoes have got, you know... Mud on them. Mud on them, or, or, or uh, in later books, dragon drool on them. It's like, <laughs> my, my purple shoes. But she's, things are always going wrong with her yes. shoes as well. And she's, But she's kind. Like, yeah. I think the thing I really liked about it is that a lot of the characters are really kind to each other. Yes. Um, and she is very kind to Boy 412, who is permanently terrified of everything. Yeah. Um, in a way that, well, marries up with trauma from a child soldier, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, absolutely. And she rescues him. Yes. So from the very beginning of the book, he accidentally hits her with a snowball. Yes, and she's she has a go at him. And then when she comes back, he's almost dead yeah then she, like but she recognizes that he is supposedly the sentry wearing this ridiculous outfit in yeah. midwinter which is you know cotton and yes. ridiculous with a huge hat that looks like a mushroom and it's completely impractical and uh and the reason that these boy soldiers are guarding the wizard tower is to make the wizards look ridiculous yes yeah. uh, and she recognizes that um, and so when she comes back and notices that there's only one, mm. there's only one guard. So this other guard has disappeared somewhere. And it's right in the moment where she is taking Jenna back to the wizard's tower to save her. Yes. Because Jenna is basically the princess who's been swapped at birth and hidden and stolen away and all this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then hidden because with the heaps for 10 years. Her because mom's... her mother was assassinated. Yes. Yeah. And it, the same day that Marsha becomes... Uh, the extraordinary wizard, uh, because the extraordinary wizard at the time, who was her sort of mentor, uh, is murdered. In yes. the same same thing. So she rescues the princess and runs off. Um, so when she comes ten years later to, to take Jenna to rescue, she actually stops because this yeah. she this boy is is dying, and they take him in. And then when they have to run, it's Jenna who grabs him and throws him down the chute. Yes, throw the rubbish the down the chute. chute. <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is a fabulous little uh, Star Wars reference. It is. Indeed. Which I really like. Yes. And and this is the another interesting thing in that thing is that Nico, who is such a happy-go-lucky yeah. and positive character, suddenly realises he's claustrophobic. Yes. And, and that's like, it's not... It's just a moment. Yes. So that his, it makes him less sort of invincible. Yeah, and also character. less of a just a side character. Yeah. Like a jokey, oh, this is the jokey side character. This is the one who's going to make all the jokes and make us laugh. He, there is more to him than just being yeah. the joke. The jokes are the one who's a bit happy-go-lucky. And he uh, he does have a bigger part in later books as well. So because I like Nico. <laughs> oh yeah, I totally recommend that you should read them all. They're they're so so great. Um, and you know, as I say, a, a lovely antidote to she who must not be named. Yes, yes, no, most definitely. And I think I like charming books. I like books that make me feel warm. Yeah, and this makes me feel warm. Like the warmth in it particularly the family stuff yes which i think with the kind of murdering the parents yeah. thing that has that has for a long time been a way to get the children out and have adventures yeah whereas their dad comes with them their dad comes with them dad goes with one lot mum goes with the other it, lot off it, they go and uh, it's yeah. yeah and in later books as the children get older yeah and it becomes 
more teeny. Yeah, it's, it becomes more normal that children do start separating yeah. from their families Obviously. at the age of 12, at the age of 13 and so on and go off and do their own thing a bit more. Um, but this in this book, they're only 10 years old. And it yeah, does... Jenna and Septimus are 10. Yeah. I think Nico's sort of 11 or 12. Yeah. All the way up to like 19. I yes. think Simon is 18 or 19. Yes. yes. Yeah. But they all go off together because, you know, obviously the assassin's coming after all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is a lovely, it's a lovely series of books because these different characters, Lucy Grinch, oh, who is Simon's come girlfriend, comes back and has an adventure in one of the later books with Wolf Boy and rescues everybody and sorts <laughs> everything out because she's brilliant and yeah it, which is why Simon fell in love with her in the first exactly. place so then him not marrying her yeah exactly ends up going on a different path and when he, I think when you compare that with Fleur from Harry Potter and, yeah. and mind you I, I have a lot of time for Fleur and I think she was badly done by yes. um I, I I like that as well it, it's sort of Septimus is special because he is he's seventh son, seventh son, seventh son of a seventh son, but he's not automatically brilliant at everything. No. He makes a lot of mistakes. Uh, I mean, in this book, he doesn't really have any powers, but in yeah. the later books, when he's developing his powers, yeah. he makes a lot of mistakes, and other people have to come and help him out. Yeah, uh, and also yeah. I think it sets them all out really nice. I like the fact that this book, which is the first book in the Septimus Heap series, is not really just about Septimus Heap. Yes, there's a community. Yeah, and I I like that. It's much more of a kind of uh, socialist fantasy, maybe than a neoliberal and capitalist fantasy, yeah. which so many of kind of contemporary yes. children's fiction is. And that's what my thesis is about: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. socialist neoliberal fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you for listening to episode nineteen of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter at, at FantasySwap, Facebook at FantasyBookSwap, or email FantasyBookSwap.com. You can subscribe at most... FantasyBookSwap at, at gmail.com. Gmail. I can't read my own typing. <laughs> you can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can, as it helps to satisfy my vanity. <laughs> Thanks to Steve Vapertrails for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye. Goodbye. Ali, where can we find you online? Ah, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Whoa! Oh, yeah. You're um, a multimedia goddess. Oh, yes. At CL Aficionado, C L A F I C I O N A D O. CL Chicklet Aficionado, which was my original handle back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'll pop it in there. I will put it Probably in the show notes. For those, <laughs> those who can't be bothered to look it up. Uh, but also, I have a website at alliwilliams.org where you can find all information about my books, my editing, my academic research, etc. Fabulous. Well, I will put both of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me, Ali. Oh, this has been fabulous. You're welcome. It's been an absolute joy. We could have talked for hours. Signing off from Ali Squared. <laughs>